Good morning, church family. Good morning. you all in the wonderful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. We thank God for bringing us together once again to um, worship Him and to also hear His Word. And my desire, whenever we hear the Word of God, is that it will not just be, you know, one of the things that we know, but that it will form us to be a people that truly honor God, a people that are daily being conformed in the image of Christ. Remember that great prayer of our Lord when he prayed in John chapter 17, and in verse 17, he prays for his disciples, and by extension, he prays for Christians, um, you know, across all generations. And he says to God, sanctify them in your word. Your word is truth. Jesus Christ, our Lord, the one who holds the world by the power of his word, sees the word of God as instrumental to our sanctification as our and our growth it is not something that we should take lightly so whenever we come together to hear the word of god may we pray in our hearts that god would give us spiritual ears to hear and not just to hear to know but as we know that our hearts will be affected and we will act according to god's word amen We've been doing this topic of series called God's Growth Plan for Believers. It's a topic of series on the means of grace. And today we are on our fourth part of the series. Last week we looked at Ephesians chapter um, 11 verse um, 12, um, chapter 4 verse 11 to, to 12. And in the passage we see that Christ gave uh, the church pastors, right? And pastors lead feed and protect the flock with the word and prayer. And one of the pastor's main roles is to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for, for building up the church. So, so pastors don't do all the work in building up the church um, uh, all by themselves. Each member of the body has a role to play. And that's what I want us to look at today. But before we, we go on, let us take this time and present it to the Lord in prayer, shall we? Our dear Heavenly Father, you are a gracious God. As we sang this morning that our sins, they are many, but your mercy is more. May our hearts truly praise you. Praise you that you're a God of mercy, a God of grace, and indeed one of the displays of your grace was giving us your son Jesus Christ but not only that you gave us your word so that we can come to know you and to walk with you as we study together on this topic may you be blessed may you be glorified in the wonderful name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ we pray amen so last week we looked at the fact that the flock needs shepherds, right? And I said that today we will look at that, the fact that we need each other. We need each other. 
And this is what we're going to talk about this morning. But the question is, when we say we need each other, how does this work? Right? How do we, as the body of Christ, actively build up the body? What do we actually do? The, the New Testament uses the phrase, one another. It uses this phrase over and over again. There are at least 58 commands in the New Testament that we have to do with our responsi- that have to do with our responsibility toward one another. These commands teach us specifically how we need each other in the church. And about the th- a third of the one another commands deal with the unity with unity in the body of Christ. We are called to live at peace with one another. When you look at Mark chapter 9 verse 50, we are called to accept one another. Romans chapter 15 verse 7, we are called to be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 32, to confess our sins to one another. James chapter 5 verse 16. Another third of the one another commands deal with loving one another. John alone gives this command at least 10 times in John chapter 13, in chapter 15, in 1 John chapter 3 verse 11, in in, in 1 John chapter 4 verse 7 and verse 11. Paul also uses this command to love one another in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 2 and Romans chapter 12 verse 10. And there are there are many other one another commands. We, we, we could do a whole series on the one another commands in the New Testament, and I hope that in the future uh, we will do this series. But our purpose this morning, I, I, I want to deal with two broad commands. First of all, we must speak to one another. Secondly, we must serve one another. Speak to one another. The, the, the call, first of all, to speak to one another comes from a very familiar passage. This is in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15. Paul says in that passage, speaking the truth in love, we grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. This verse often is, is often used when we think of confronting someone. We need to tell it like it is, right? Speak the truth, but we need to be nice when we do it. We need to speak the truth in love. And this is certainly an appropriate principle. But this verse is referring to something more fundamental to spiritual formation than confrontation. That the truth spoken in love here is a very specific truth. It's, it's the truth of the gospel. It's basically saying that when we speak the gospel to one another, we grow. We, we become more like Jesus. This is Discipleship 101. Like we said in our first sermon in the series, the word does the work. And sure, pastors are involved in teaching the word to the body, right? But all believers are called to build up the body in love as well. When you think about Romans chapter 15, verse 14, listen to what Paul says in Romans chapter 15, verse 14. He says, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourself are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. 
You see what Paul is doing here? He's assuming that we are equipped. He's assuming that we are people that are constantly spending time in the Word. That we are people that are constantly spending time in prayer. We are filled. He says you are filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. It is a given in the Bible that we are people that are always speaking with one another the gospel. We, we need to speak the word to one another. All believers are called to do this. The word of God in Jesus grants us salvation, right? But we, we don't ever graduate from the gospel. You, you, you've never seen graduations in church and saying these people uh, have graduated from the gospel. They are moving to something else. Any disciple of Jesus who wants to continue to grow will daily hunger for more of the word. And sure, we can read the word on our own. And it will benefit us greatly too, if we do. But God especially delights to put his word into the mouth of human beings so that it may be passed on to others. A German pastor um, during the during World War II, um, who was arrested and um, subsequently killed by the by Nazi Germany, named Dietrich Benhoover, in his book Life Together, says this. He says, "God has willed that we should seek and find God's living word in the testimony of other Christians, in the mouths of human beings. Therefore." Christians need other Christians who speak God's word to them. In fact, the goal of all Christian community is to encounter one another as bringers of the gospel. How do we bring the gospel to one another? We do that through one-on-one discipleship. We do this in our Bible studies, even through singing. To one another. Isn't it amazing to sing together? Bind us together, Lord. Bind us together. We, we, we shouldn't just sing those words as if they are not connected to, to um, we are not connected to those words. We should sing those words with a cry in our heart that there will be true unity among us. There will be a true bond of love that we will be characterized by a people who truly love one another. When we sing together, uh, his mercy is more. Our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. We are saying to one another, yes, we are sinners, but we do not run away from God. We run towards him because his mercy is more. We sing to one another. We, 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 we attend Bible studies together. We do one on one, -on -one discipleship. We, we, are, we are essentially bringers of the gospel. Right? Even though um, with these things we see in Colossians chapter 3 verse 16, Paul says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanks, thankfulness in your heart to God. 
But it's not only in these formal ways that we speak the word of God to one another. We also do so casually. Right? As we live life together day in, day out. But in order to speak the word to one another in our daily life, we have to have relationships with one another. And the best way that we establish relationships with one another is through serving one another. When Hoover goes on to say, whenever the ministry of service is being faithfully performed, the ultimate and highest ministry can also be offered the sharing of the word of God. Whenever we connect with each other and serve one another faithfully, we open avenues to speak the word of God to one another. To confront each other. So, not only are we to speak to one another, I want us to spend the rest of our time talking about serving one another. And I want us to, I want to talk about three ways we should serve one another and build relationships with one another so that we'll create a context in which we can speak the word of God to one another. I could obviously talk about serving one another through using uh, your spiritual gifts to build up the body. And that's certainly important, isn't it? It is a subject I, I hope in the future we will certainly explore. But today, I want to talk about three things that I think are important to consider. I want to talk about hospitality, encouragement, and correction. Hospitality, encouragement, and correction. The first way we should serve one another is through hospitality. 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 9 says, Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Why is hospitality important in the Bible? I believe that hospitality creates a context to speak and serve. Why do I say that? Well, in the Bible, the word hospitality is a combination of two Greek words. Philos, which means love, and the word xenos, which means stranger. Today, the Greek word xenos is um, translates the word foreigner but uh, here in this context that it is the word stranger in other words to show hospitality is to show love to the stranger hospitality is the act or process whereby the identity of the stranger is transformed into that of the guest and if i may add continues to transform into that of a friend. So hospitality in the biblical sense is not simply opening our home to a friend. It's opening your heart to a stranger. It's providing space where someone um, who is unknown to us can become someone who is known to us. Hospitality is offered particularly to the other, the one who is not like us, the one who is the outsider. Generally speaking, we avoid people who are not like us, right? We spend all of our time with people who are like us. In fact, if we are honest, 
we are a little bit afraid of the stranger. We are afraid of engaging with people who are not like us. The, the fear of the stranger is called xenophobia. We are called to xenophilia, love of the stranger, not xenophobia. Let me stop here and say this. It should be very strange when we are members of one body, but yet in reality, we are strangers to each other. That should be very strange to us. It should be very strange. One of the, the, the things that we must know about being part of a community of Christ is that we are not just part of a society. We are part of a family. Right? Remember that word of endearment that the apostle used to refer to other Christians? Brethren or brothers. Right? There's a sense in which we see a close connection. We are knitted together in Christ's love. It should be strange to us to be members of one body, but yet in reality we are strangers to one another. We know nothing about each other. And I'm not saying that we should be snoopy, right? <laughs> I'm not saying that. I'm not saying we should just, um, you know, not respect each other's privacy, but I, I, what I'm saying is that the, 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 the characteristic of what makes a family a family must also be displayed in the body of Christ. We are generally afraid of strangers. We want to keep to ourselves. We, we, we want to keep to the status quo of the familiar. But what happens if we don't love people who are different from us in the church? First of all, we miss an opportunity to glorify God. You see, God is the ultimate host. He, he offers hospitality to us. He makes strangers, his friends, people who are different from him. But there's more. Right Through Christ's death on the cross, he makes sinners his friends. He welcomes his enemies. When we fail to extend hospitality to the stranger, we fail to reflect God's character. And we also block the way for true community. True community can never truly happen if we don't show each other hospitality. We will block the way for creating friendships where discipleship can take place. Just think about it in the Bible. Older women, younger women. Older men, younger men. Right? You, you, you can see that when, whenever the apostles are talking about this reality, they are talking about people that are connected, that are engaging one another, not only on Sunday where we come and sing songs and hear a sermon and go back home and repeat and come back again. Brothers and sisters, that is not New Testament Christianity.
if we are going to create a context in which we grow in Christ, we have to be willing to take relational risks. We have to be willing to offer hospitality to one another, even to those who aren't like us. One way that church, churches block the way for hospitality is our, is in our emphasis of the nuclear family. Sometimes, and, and I see this a lot, um, in, in, in many, many settings. Sometimes we make it feel like the only way to be a mature Christian is through getting married and having kids. And what this does is make single people feel like outsiders. This also creates a barrier for faithful Christians who struggle with same-sex attraction or other things that are stigmatized in our culture. We create a great barrier to serve and speak into the lives of people. The, the, the ultimate goal of, of a woman or a man is not getting married. That's not the only ultimate goal. The ultimate goal, even the ultimate goal of marriage, is the glory of God. The, the glory of God is, 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 is the ultimate goal. When we emphasize these things over others, we end up blocking away to speak into the lives of people. Josh Jip, a, a professor of New Testament theology, says that if we want to obey the Bible's command to offer hospitality to one another, we have to hold loosely to our own personal cultural identities and preferences and to consider the good and edification of one another and precisely those with whom we have differences. These things, we have to hold them loosely. The fact that I am a sundown supporter and you're a Paris supporter and you had 4-1 four four, four during the, the week um, does not mean we cannot have relation uh, uh, a, a relational um, um, aspect together the fact that you're a bull supporter and you're a springboard I mean a um, you know a cheetah supporter does not mean that you cannot um, relate together our differences must be whole, held loosely how do we do this or you may start by simply making an effort over the next few weeks to invite someone in this church over for dinner. Someone that you don't know. Maybe even someone who is very different from you. It's not easy, I know. But you may be surprised by the blessing it will be to them and to you. You see, hospitality creates a context for community. And it's in the context of community that we build up one another in Christ. Let's look at now the, the second way we, we serve one another in the body. This is encouragement. Through encouragement. The first is hospitality. The second, encouragement. Hebrews chapter 3, chapter 3 verse 12 um, to 14. Listen to what the writer says. It says, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. 
but exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin for we he continues to say have come to to share in christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end the hebrews lets us in on a sobering truth there are people in the church who by all outward appearances look like real Christians but who in the end fall away from the truth true faith by definition perseveres to the end but there have always been and will always be those in the church who don't endure to the end what's the antidote offered in the word to falling away the main thing the book of hebrews draws out is the supremacy of christ we, we fix our eyes on jesus the the one who is greater than all else the one who endured the cross and is seated at the right hand of god if we keep our eyes fixed on him and follow him we will persevere that's the first way to endure right but but, but these verses list the second way we, we, we also endure through the encouragement of the, of the community. Encouragement facilitates endurance. Those who, who run marathons will, will tell you how this is important, right? That inevitably as you run, you will um, lose strength and, and, and feel like giving up. But as you see others, and others are encouraging you and are spurring you on, you want to continue as well. You want to push yourself. When we see others growing, when we see others walking in the Lord, fighting sin, falling in sin and fighting sin, standing up and continuing looking to the Lord, we are also encouraged. We are also encouraged. Encouragement facilitates endurance in fact we need one another in the body if we are going to persevere to the end how do we keep from having unbelieving hearts that lead us to fall away from the living god right through exhorting one another every day or as the niv puts it by encouraging one another daily one of the reasons we meet together every Sunday is to stir up one another to love and good works, to encourage one another until Christ returns. When we meet together, when we sing to one another, when we serve one another, when we welcome one another, when we encourage one another, we encourage one another to endure. We, we facilitate an atmosphere of endurance. There are so many things in this world that war against our faith. They, they try to undermine our faith. So many things that try to cause us to lose heart, to fall away from the Lord, to reject the Lord. We need one another to give us courage. That the ministry of encouragement is important. That is not, it, 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 that it's one of God's ways of keeping us in the faith. Let me tell you a story. In 1904, the great escape artist Houdini was challenged to a contest by a, contest by a newspaper in London. 
that they paper dared him to escape from a complex form of handcuffs with six locks on each cuff and nine tumblers on each lock. The performer looked. Um, uh, uh, the performer took the the challenge with thousands gathered at the London um, Hippodrome to see if he could escape these new bonds. Houdini, Houdini uh, uh, ducked down into a box to struggle out of sight in, of the of the of the crowd. After about twenty minutes, he popped out out of the box. The crowd roared their approval, but suddenly quieted as they realized the cuffs were still in place. Houdini smiled and went back into the box. Fifteen minutes passed, and once again the escape artist appeared. Again the crowd cheered enthusiastically. Houdini smiled, saying that he just needed to flex his knees. Down he went again. Another twenty minutes he emerged a free man, holding the cuffs in his hands. That the crowd gave a great ovation for the master of escape. Later the reporter asked him, asked Houdini, why he kept popping up out of the box when he was not yet free. He replied that he needed to hear the encouragement of the crowd. One commentator says, those of us who live in Christian communities struggle, often in, in dark solitude, against discouragement and conflict and fatigue that, that close in around us. When we come out of our solitude into the light of Christian fellowship, we need to experience applause and encouragement from others in the body of Christ. This gives us the courage to go back to our struggles with new energy and hope. We need one another. Christians, let me say this, Christians were never made to grow in isolation. We were made to grow in community. Right? We were made to grow in community. When we create an opportunity for community through hospitality, we foster the community, that community through encouragement. It provides an opportunity also to challenge one another in the community and even correct them when um, correction is needed. In fact, correction is one way we encourage one another. That's what I want us to look at now, correction. So we saw hospitality, encouragement, and now correction. Look at Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 to 5. Paul says to the Galatians, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual, restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Uh, this text clearly teaches that correction helps restore the sinner. That the basic assumption in this passage is that sometimes we will fall into sin. We will be caught in transgression. And now, now being caught in transgression doesn't mean we'll be found out. Sometimes you can even hide. And we'll get, it doesn't mean you will be caught red-handed. Although that does happen, doesn't it? And the idea here is that sometimes we got caught up in sin, 
we become ensnared by sin. You see, the worst thing about being in sin is being a slave to that sin, being ensnared by it. One of the, the strongest and I think the most powerful things sin can ever whisper to you is, what if they find out? How you respond and cave in and, and, and hide is when that sin has you. When that sin has enslaved you. Sin, brothers and sisters, thrives in darkness. Sin thrives in darkness. It becomes stronger the more you hide it. The, when sin loses its power is when we grab it by the collar, drag it to the light, and expose it to the light. I don't know if, if, if you have seen a vampire movie. I don't, they are not true, um, but I just want to show you this. Uh, vampires don't go out in the light, right? The, 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 they are always in the dark. But whenever they are exposed to light, what happens to them? They, they, they become fried and, and die, right? Same thing with sin. Same thing with sin. Sin is more powerful in secret and in the dark. The assumption is that we need each other in the body of Christ to get out of sin. Our fellowship in the body of Christ is a means of grace. It is God's growth plan for us. God uses other Christians to restore those who are enmeshed in sin. If only we could come to see these truths. We are sinners, right? We, we sing about it. Our sins, they are many. We, we are not perfect and we need each other's help. Christianity is not a privatized religion. Christianity is a family religion. We live the faith dependent upon other, other brothers and sisters in Christ. The only way we make it in the Christian life is to have an attitude that admits our force to one another and accept help from one another. And let me say that again. We must admit our faults and accept help from others if we are going to make it in the faith. If I may repeat myself, Christians were not made to grow in isolation. We live in a day when people in the church don't want to be corrected or restored. But this is frankly quite unchristian. Co correction is at the heart of the gospel, right? Think about it. Tabiti Onyabili says the gospel is a divine word of correction and restoration, is it not? The gospel announces that we are sinners in need of God's salvation and that in Christ we can be forgiven of our sin and restored to relationship with God. So not only does hospitality reflect the gospel, correction reflects the gospel too. It's a needed component of our life together, of our service to one another. Hopefully... We, 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 you see that we need cor to correct one another in the body. But how do we go about correcting those in the body who have fallen into sin? Galatians chapter 6 lists three ways 
and uh, we are um, concluding here. First, we would need to correct in the spirit of gentleness. Correct in the spirit, spirit of gentleness. If someone is out of step with the, with the spirit, we don't want to correct them by acting out of step with the spirit ourselves. Right? And we know that gentleness is a fruit of the spirit. So we shouldn't be harsh with people. We, we should be gentle. This is a lesson we all need to learn. Is it not? It's a lesson that we need to learn. One of the problems with confrontation is in the church is many of us are trying to set someone straight because they are acting in a way that, are, that is out of line with our desires. And that's not the right attitude. right? If that's our goal, we'll certainly get bent out of shape in the process. But the goal isn't to get people to straighten up and, and fly right. The goal is to get people to follow Christ. Second, we need to keep watch on ourselves, lest we too be tempted. We, we, we saw last week um, in our discussion of pastors, right? We, we can't look after others if we won't look after ourselves. We are all sinners and susceptible to falling. This perspective will keep us humble. And humility is of utmost importance here. If, if, if we are going to be involved in restoring others, we must adopt the spirit of humility. We shouldn't think we are something when we are nothing. When we see someone else caught in sin, we shouldn't say, Oh, how could they do that? But instead we should say, That could be me, but for the grace of God. When we do that, brothers and sisters, we, we create an atmosphere of, of showing grace to one another. We, we remind each other that we are people that have been shown grace and we want grace to flow in our midst. This does not mean that we tolerate sin, right? That's what church discipline is for. It does not mean we tolerate sin, but it means that we see sin not as a victor among people that have known grace. We want grace to to be victorious at the end of the day. And we're not talking about the fact that grace frees us to sin. But grace really frees us from sin, doesn't it? We need to understand it that way. Third, we need to bear one another's burdens. Bear one another's burdens. Correction would go so much better if we were willing to walk with people through the valley of the shadow of their sin. It's easier to correct people um, you know, like someone who does not have sin myself. And this happens when we sweep in and dump on people, then fly away. Right? But we must be people that seek to walk with people. Now let's conclude by saying, as I said in the beginning, that the main way we build up the body of Christ is through speaking the word to them. But also we need to serve one another in the body. When we serve them through hospitality, encouragement, and correction, we reflect the gospel. And we create a space for the gospel to be spoken. We establish a relational credibility. And it is true, brothers and sisters, think about it. Someone who doesn't know you, someone who doesn't know anything about you, when they come to correct you, 
your default response most of the time is how dare you right but when we create a, 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 an environment where we know each other, when we, when we, 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 we welcome each other, where we are hospitable to one another, we, we also create and establish an environment where we are able to encourage and correct one another. There's, there's, in that atmosphere, there's relational credibility. We establish trust. And trust is needed to speak the truth in love. The reason some people continue to be enslaved by sin because sometimes, not always, of trust. We don't minister to one another in a vacuum, do we? We minister in the context of a covenant community. And we enter into covenant community with one another because we believe that we need each other. Amen. Let's pray. Our dear Heavenly Father, our Lord and God, we want to thank you, Father, for being the ultimate host, the one who has turned strangers into friends, strangers who are far away, and brought them near, seated them at your table. And for that, we thank you, Lord. We pray that that will motivate and inspire us to be hospitable to one another, to come to realize that we need one another. Thank you, Father, for what you continue to do in our midst how your word continues to sanctify us. May we respond with joy to your word. In Jesus' specific name we pray. Amen.